uh, we acknowledge the Noongar people and the wider Noongar community on whose country we conduct our ceremonies and do as I said tonight. May the voice and spirit of the butcher be present in words uh, and thoughts and sitting and walking uh, here tonight. This is, uh, talk is called the Dharma of Mother's Day. Uh, please sit comfortably. And we'll have sharing afterwards and then we'll sort of come in more together. Well, where would we be without uh, our mother? Uh, how would we be? Uh, what would we be? Listen. As with any great gift and our life is pretty much on any account the greatest gift of all, the most fundamental gift. Uh, being born comes trailing complexity and it's my guess that our relationships with our mothers, uh, even though deeply loving, uh, carry their own darkness um, as well. A child or a teenager in a rage might assert, I never asked to be born. Uh, I wonder about that state of not being born, of not getting a ride in the fairground of life, uh, in this tiniest of homes, this planet, in the vastness of the universe. Uh, in Sophocles' uh, play, Oedipus at Colonus, the chorus declares that not to be born is beyond all estimation best. <laughs> Hard to test that one empirically, I suspect. Uh, various thinkers uh, have, since have also recognised how pervasive suffering is and more recently uh, how overpopulation threatens the planet. Yeah. Perhaps it is confronting to imagine uh, our mothers giving birth to us, um, just as it may be challenging to imagine our parents having sex. When we consider our source and origin, you know, in Zen, this is kind of a favourite question or koan, you know, what is your source and origin? And it's often framed as, um, you know, vast emptiness. Uh, but, and what is overlooked uh, is what uh, Ikkyu, uh, Japanese Zen master, who lived from 1394 to 1481, he was travelling and he saw a naked woman bathing in a river. He bowed to her three times in the direction of her vagina. Several passers-by asked him for an explanation. He responded, 
Women are the treasure house of Buddhism. They are the source out of which every being comes forth, including the Buddha and Bodhidharma. That's kind of pretty direct. (laughs) And they nourished us into life and sustained us when we couldn't fend for ourselves and all of which deserves our deepest respect and gratitude. Yeah, the notion of um, not being uh, born being born it's like, uh, it's like a new working uh, this anti-natalist movement which uh, you know, feels that it's unethical to give birth to children at this point in time um, for reasons of overpopulation of the planet and all of that um, yeah I mean it's, it's interesting um, it's sad in a way, it's, uh, the point being that there is so much suffering and the likelihood of increasing suffering, so it's based on that kind of argument. But it seems such a shame to miss a ride on the, uh, on the merry-go-round of being alive and to give others that opportunity. But it's like a reworking of to be and not to be, you know? Uh, a reworking of that notion, um, yeah, and in Zen, uh, the, the notion of being or existence and uh, not being uh, are t- two concepts uh, which are present and in practice. But the point is to be able to get beyond both of those, uh, to be on one hand, not to be on the other, just letting those go. What is it then uh, when you're not clinging to existence and non-existence? My mother's maiden name was Griffiths. She was Dorothy Kathleen Griffiths. She was born in 1914, just before the outbreak of the First World War, and died in 1995 at the age of 82. She was so Spanish beautiful when she was young, and it's easy to see why my father fell for her. And she told me that, I don't know how old she was at this point, maybe 1920, she said, we will go out... Uh, dancing seven nights a week uh, to the big bands at uh, Canterbury Court and the Embassy and another place whose name I can't remember. Um, and uh, yeah, with these um, sleek, uh, white, dinner-suited big fish conductors, you know, conducting these big bands. Um, and uh, I imagine her, you know, after the last train, uh, coming home with friends easing off her dancing shoes and gingerly toe-testing the cool pavement uh, under the night sky, softly humming honeysuckle rose all the way home. Yeah, big bands, uh, great tunes. Uh, my mother lost her mother when she was 18 months old and I think that tragedy marked her life. Her father remarried twice The first of these marriages was disastrous. Um, uh, 
My grandfather's name was George and his wife Ivy took off with another man to Kalgoorlie uh, asking my mother, who was about ten at the time, to look after Edna, the child that they'd had after her uh, foster sister. And the result of this, my, father, uh, my mother rather, largely brought up her stepsister, um, Edna. After the divorce, her father married again and there were two more children and, yeah, many difficulties, including her father's heavy drinking. Uh, my mother and father uh, were married in 1940. Um, Mum was 26, my dad was 35, and had come out from England. And he worked here for years in the bush. Um, it's depression. Work was really hard uh, to get. And they were both shaped, I think, really strongly by... Uh, by the depression so uh, incredibly frugal uh, even in a time where you know uh, things were improved after the war uh, economically you know white goods, television all, all of that my mother had little education uh, about grade 6 primary school at Leaderville primary school she and my father believed that getting a good education was the key to getting on in the world. Uh, and she would go to jumble sales and buy me old maths texts such as Hall and Knight's trigonometry and Hall and Stevens' geometry. Maybe people who have been around a while will remember those uh, textbooks, uh, high school textbooks, which were... Um, yeah, that were her, her offering. She thought this will be useful. Um, yeah, she she would say, "You don't want to end up like your father, do you?" Um, my father worked at Meta's stove factory, uh, testing stoves and doing fitting and turning there, and. You know, there's something humiliating about that, but I think my father just thoroughly agreed uh, with her. Um, my mother's dream was to own a shop, um, but that was uh, never fulfilled. Yeah, I'm very grateful to my mother and father for the life opportunities they gave me and the sacrifices that they made in the face of their own difficult lives. Um, my mother would have liked me to be a pharmacist or a school teacher. Uh, I did try the latter, but I was passionate about living my life through music, rather. Uh, in short, being a working musician. And uh, I remember being up at the school in which I was teaching, which was Catanning Senior High School, and marking papers on the weekend. And I was desperate to record some Brazilian bossa novas which were going through my head. So I grabbed the nearest tape um, and uh, put it in and went to the school piano and recorded. But I recorded over the school, co school copy of Macbeth, uh, which didn't go down well, <laughs> especially as I was supposed to be teaching it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah, my mother was the dark and my father was the bright. Um, he was genial and witty and um, 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, somehow I was formed out of those contradictions. Uh, talking of dark and bright and talking of mothers, um, here's a Dharma exchange between an earnest seeker and the great woman teacher, uh, Moshan, Moshan Liaran. Um, she was abbess of her own teacher, uh, of her own temple, um, and truly a great Zen master. We have one or two dialogues of hers. I mean, this is, of course, the patriarchy. Um, and we only know of her probably because the particular person who came, the aspiring young man who came, came from Lin Chi. As, um, he was being trained by Lin Chi and he was on pilgrimage, I guess. So we only know about her because of the reference through to Lin Chi. But I think this is one of the great dialogues of the way. And Mother Moshan, as he calls her at the end of the dialogue, um, uh, is such a teacher. So I will read you the, the story. So Zen Master uh, Moshan uh, was a student of Guan Dayu. Once the monk Guanxi Xian arrived at her monastery and said, this is the typical arrogance of the Lin Chi school. If there's someone here who's worthy, I'll stay here. If not, I'll overturn the meditation platform. Uh, Lin Chi students were famous for doing this kind of thing. Lots of shouts and blows, um, very little poetry, uh, at least for about six generations, then you get a really great teacher who uh, starts to introduce a much more modulated uh, approach to awakening students. Anyway, uh, the student here uh, enters the hall. Moshan sent her, attend her attendant to query the visitor, saying, Your reverence, are you here sightseeing, or have you come seeking the Buddha Dharma? The student says, I seek the Dharma. So Moshan sat upon the Dharma seat in the audience room and Sian entered for an interview. The master asked, Your reverence, where have you departed from today? The student replied, From the road's mouth, an undefiled place. By way of explanation, this is the intersection of two roads. I come from the junction of two roads. And interestingly, the, the point of intersection itself, it's neither one road nor the other, it's both. And this is a kind of a, a fairly elaborate metaphor for, you know, I come from the vastness. I come from the, uh, the, this junction of no name, if you will. And it's sometimes said, actually, Norman Fisher um, writes that we live at the junction of uh, form and emptiness, uh, or principle and phenomena, of vastness and particularity. Uh, so that's what he's, when he's saying this, what he's indicating. And then Moshan said, um, why not cover it up? Uh, why, why not put a lid on it, is the more vernacular uh, thing. Uh, 
you know, why are you talking about that? Uh, you defile it by talking that way. Put a lid on it. The monk was unable to reply. Uh, Moshan replied on his behalf. If so, how would I get here? Uh, this is so... It's, she, she literally steps inside him and it's in a way she's speaking as him here. You talk about this fastness where there is no coming and going, but how would I get here? How would you get here? But she's speaking as him almost here. And it's this kind of uh, movement of intimacy uh, which is so powerful in this context. She doesn't just say, how would you get here? She says, how would I get here as him? You know? How would I get here? Hmm? Hmm? Guan Chi didn't answer for some time. Finally, he bowed, saying, uh, What about Mount Mo? Uh, Moshan, the teacher, uh, takes her name from the mountain on which her monastery stands. So she's called Shana's Mountain, Moshan. So he says, Well, what about Mount Mo? What about your vastness, if you will. Moshan said, the peak is not revealed. It's a beautiful uh, response, which conveys that matter of vastness. It isn't revealed like the stars coming out, uh, like the waves uh, thumping on the beach, like the beating of your heart. It isn't revealed. Uh, gathers everything in. The student said, Who is the master of Mount Mo? Moshan said, without the form of man or woman. Uh, there it is again. Quan Chi, the student, shouted and said, why can't it transform itself uh, and become a man? Uh, this is really losing the plot here. But it's the old thing of, you know, you have to be reborn as a man, a woman has to be reborn as a man, otherwise you can't, you can't become enlightened. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's that old story. Uh, Moshan said, it's not a god or a demon, so uh, how could it become something else? Guan Chi then submitted to become Moshan's student. He worked as head gardener for three years at her monastery. Uh, later, Guan Chi, the student, equated Moshan with Lin Chi, his first teacher, saying, 
I received half a ladle that Father Lynchy's place and half a ladle that Mother Moshan's. Since I took that drink, I've never been thirsty. Yeah, it's it's yeah a wonderful uh, story and shows her incredible depth of her insight and her authority uh, as a teacher. What a transformation for the student! <laughs> I'll overturn the meditation platform. Uh, you cut to him in the garden as head gardener <laughs> and doing lots of zazen in her monastery and coming for interviews. I'm grateful to my mother and father for a chance at life, uh, for a life, uh, for their support and love that made it all possible. You can never repay the debt. I remember trying to repay the debt when I was at university, uh, there was a, one of the lecturers there was a staggeringly gifted pianist who, when he didn't feel like lecturing, he would, well, on one occasion he played the entire of Beethoven's Hammerklavier Sonata, which, if you know that work, runs for about 45 minutes and is phenomenally difficult, uh, one of the great, great works um, uh, of Beethoven, indeed. So to have a lecturer like that was amazing. You know, I'm, I'm bored. I don't feel like lecturing, and he sits sit down at the piano, and so on for 45 minutes from memory. Anyway, he's giving a concert, so I took my mother. The uni was famous for its lunch, Thursday lunchtime concerts, and I took my mother. Uh, to hear him play, and he's playing Arthur Bliss's piano sonata. Um, and uh, I asked her afterwards, what did you think of the music? Uh, and she said, it was okay, but he, do you realise he had mismatched socks on? Screaming. <laughs> and she really, she appreciated the gesture of going there, but uh, it's wonderful what she picks up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I kind of know it, because, uh, you know... Uh, I think of the situation he was, his trousers were sort of halfway up his legs so he could see the socks quite clearly and he was really going for the, for the piece. Anyway, it was, uh, yeah. So Anne-Marie, my sister-in-law, writes in her family history of the Bolotus. After Nana's, that's my mother's death, I went with Ross to a Buddhist centre and Ross asked one of the monks to recite a Bardo prayer. Um, this is Sadatisa's centre um, from many years ago down in Davalak Road, as I remember. So I asked one of the monks to recite a Bardo prayer um, from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And Anne-Marie, my sister-in-law, writes, however, we were supposed to come to a further reading which we never managed to get to. Because of that, I was really scared for Nana that she would not find her way and get stuck, stuck halfway to where souls are supposed to go. And uh, I feel very touched by that. But I'm sure my mother didn't need any further reading to complete her journey. Um, yeah, what would be a completion of that journey? Um, 
Where is she now? Thank you for your attention.